Amen. Well, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the first ever View live stream. Uh, we are so excited that you are with us tonight. Uh, my name is Daniel Harris. I serve as the college pastor of The View. And I know that many of you are tuning in for the first time. There's plenty of you who have never been to The View before, but you're watching our live stream. Uh, I want to tell you, thank you so much for tuning in with us. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, if this is your first time joining us online, we really want to get to know you. We'd like to follow up with you this week. So if this is your first time, wherever you are, if you're in your dorm or you're at your parents' house, you're alone, wherever you are, uh, we would love for you to contact us on the View Memphis Instagram account, and we would love to follow up with you. Uh, as I said, my name is Daniel Harris. I was born right here in Memphis, Tennessee, graduated from the University of Memphis. Go Tigers. And I am, uh, I love the city of Memphis, and a part of my testimony, our college students know what I'm about to say, uh, I got saved at 21 years old while I was in college. And when I came across the Lord, when the Lord found me and got a hold of me, he never let go. And my life has been radically different because of Jesus Christ. The views played a big part, but the view didn't change my life. People have played a big part, but people didn't change my life. Jesus Christ, though, radically changed my life. And I hope that for some of you out there who don't know Jesus, tonight could be the night. This could be the night that you give your life over to Jesus Christ. That's what we are praying for. So I'm so glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 41. We're going to be diving into a sermon tonight from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah. I want to give you a minute. I encourage you to take notes tonight as well. If you have a journal or you want to use your phone, whatever it is, I encourage you to take notes tonight on what I'm going to give you. I'm very excited for this sermon. I believe it's a very timely one. I got to tell you, we are living in a very different day. I don't know if you've realized yet, but the world has changed very quickly. For me, the coronavirus was something I kept hearing about on Twitter and Instagram, but I didn't know what it was a few months ago. Now, it has radically changed our day-to-day -day life. We can't go outside. We can't go to the mall. It's closed. We can't go to restaurants. They're closed. Can't go to the movie theater. I can't even go see movies right now. I'm depressed because I can't go to Malco and see a movie right now. Life's changed. And for us, not just the simple stuff has changed. It hasn't just made life boring. For a lot of you, it's drastically changed your life in a in a way that's impacted you and made you upset. Many of you were about to graduate. Many of you were about to walk in May. I know some college students who are getting ready to walk across that stage in May, and because of the coronavirus, graduation has been postponed. I know many of you, especially at Christian Brothers University, were living in the dorms, and you've had to move out of the dorms, which has caused some of you, I know students who have had to move states because of the coronavirus. I know that fraternities and sororities have had to move back home with their parents, and for all of us, our weekly worship service, which has played a big part in your life as it has mine, The View, has been stopped. We are not able to meet together on Monday nights. The coronavirus has impacted all of our lives. The virus has changed everything. I know many of you are angry, and I want to address that from the beginning. I know many of you are angry, and you miss your community. I know that many of you are fearful. You're afraid. You see all this stuff shutting down and you don't know where life is headed. And there's many of you who are alone, who once had community of people, but now you're struggling to see what that looks like. And because, as Dakota said a minute ago, because you're isolated physically, it's caused you to be isolated spiritually. 
I want to preach to you tonight on what we can do. And if this virus has taught us anything, it's taught us how fast something we know can be taken from us. Has it not? <laughs> I believe that everything we know has been taken away, but there is one constant that has not changed. What I want you to know tonight is that when restaurants can't even promise they'll be open, when people can't even promise they'll come over and see you, when we're not even promised tomorrow, there is one thing that is promised to us. I want you to know that God has promised you his presence. He has promised that he will be with you. That even when nobody else is, God is with you. That he's with you right now in your house where you're watching it with, with your family, your friends. That the spirit of the living God is right there with you wherever you are. I want to tell you Jesus Christ cannot be stopped by the world, but the world can be stopped by Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the ruler. He is on his throne. As Brother Steve preached yesterday morning, Jesus is over everything. The title of my sermon tonight, I want you to write this down at the top of your notes, just like we do on Mondays. My title is, God's presence is a promise. Go ahead and write that down. God's presence is a promise. So what do you and I do? Now that life looks a little bit differently, as college students, 20-year-olds in this day and age, what do we do? How do we respond as believers at a time when people are panicking? How do we respond? What do we say when people around us are asking questions they never have before? What do we say to our friends, our college peers, who are unbelievers? I have friends tonight that are watching the stream in support of me but are not believers in Christ. What do I say to them when they come looking to me for hope? Where do we point them? How do we handle isolation? Tonight we're going to look at what God has said through Isaiah to the nation of Israel. At a time when Israel was lost. They were living in sin. They were in darkness. And it looked like hope was gone. And in Isaiah chapter 40, a turn happens. God is about to comfort Israel. God is about to give confidence back to Israel. He's about to reassure them. But not about money, not about fame, not about power. He's about to reassure them, watch this, with his presence. Look with me at Isaiah 41, what I would say is probably my life verse, verse number 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Would you join me in prayer with whoever you are with at your house or your dorm right now? Heavenly Father, we know that even though we aren't together physically right now, where two or three are gathered in your name, you are with us, Father. Your presence is here. God, there's all kinds of people across the city of Memphis watching this stream. There's college students in California and Wisconsin watching the stream. Father, there's college students all over the country watching the stream. Father, we know your presence is with all of us at the same time. God, right now I pray for all the many distractions that are probably out there. Uh, the devil, Lord, we know the devil would love to distract the college students that are in their rooms and their houses and their living rooms and their kitchens right now. He'd love to distract them with everything he can, Father. But he's a loser. He's a loser and Jesus Christ has defeated him. And so, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would protect us from distractions and discouragement right now as we open up your word. Father, would you speak to us? God, would you say every word? 
I don't want any words of this, God. You take all the word. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes, number one, God is with you. Number one, God is with you. Now I want you to understand something in verse 10 at the very beginning. When God tells Israel, do not fear. I want you to understand something here. This is very important. Do not fear is not a request from God. This is a command of God. You understand, God is not just asking the Israelites, hey, don't fear casually. No, he is telling them, hey, do not fear. This is a command of God. Do not fear. In fact, I've been telling our leaders today when I've talked to them, fear not is said at least 365 times in the Bible. So you know, as well as I do, that we have enough scripture that says fear not for us to pray every day for the entire year. And then we can start over. So fear not. I know many of you are out there are fearful right now. You do not have cause to fear. And what I love, what's beautiful is, watch this. What's beautiful about scripture is right after God says do not fear, he gives you the reason why not to fear. He says, because I am with you. In other words, if you have God beside you, in front of you, and behind you, what could run up on you that's worth being scared about? You have God Almighty with you. Then you are not to fear. I got to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you as I was writing this sermon. Aren't you glad we don't have to wonder whether God is with us or not? I know you got some friends. I got friends, and I don't know if, I got friends that I don't really know if they'll be there for me when I need them to or not. Aren't you glad you ain't got to wonder with God? (laughs) You don't have to wonder if God's going to come in and be there for you in the times that are hardest. Because there's a lot of people that may not be there for you when times get hard, but God will. And we don't even have to wonder. We get to know. I got to tell you, in a time where we're all quarantined and social distancing, a time where we're all separated, has your mind stopped yet, Christian, to ponder how incredible it is that God is still in all locations at all times on this earth? I want to tell you, our ministry may be a little bit hindered by isolation, but God's ministry is not hindered by isolation. God wants ministry to keep going. God wants the church to reflect what the church was made to be, and that's us, the people, not a building. When the building shuts down, church doesn't shut down. In fact, the church should come even more alive. I pray that for us college students, and this isn't in my notes, I don't know who this is for out there, but I pray that when the view building is closed, we would live out our faith even more across the city. I pray that we would already have a routine where we are the living, walking temple of Christ, his spirit dwells inside of us, that all we have to do to keep church going is keep on doing what we've been doing. Keep on sharing Jesus. Keep on making disciples. Keep on loving the Lord. Keep on loving people. I pray that over us all the time because I know we're all rallying. I know we're all making new plans. I know we're all trying to figure this out. Can I tell you, God is not rallying. And I want to comfort you for a minute. God is not panicked. This did not catch guard. This did not catch God off guard. This did not surprise God. I want to tell you, God's plan has stayed the same. He's with you as much today as he was before this whole quarantine. This didn't catch God off guard. I know that you would say, Daniel, how do you know? How do you know that God wasn't a little bit surprised? Daniel, how do you know that God wasn't thrown off a little bit by this trial? And not even the coronavirus, just the trials you're facing in your family, with your friends, day-to-day life. 
You say, Daniel, how do you know God wasn't surprised? Why would he let me go through a trial? Did it slip past him? Oftentimes we go through trials, we think they must have slipped past God like he didn't know it was happening to us. You say, Daniel, why? Why would God let that happen? What I would say to you is do you remember Moses and the Israelites? Because I remember Moses at the Red Sea. I remember him leading the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt. He's being chased by Egyptians. You remember, he gets to the beach. He's got the Red Sea in front of him. Pihaharoth is over here. Can't go that way. It's a rocky range of land. Forts and garrisons are this way. And he's literally stuck at the Red Sea. He has nowhere to go. Do you really think that caught God off guard? Do you really think God saw him get to the Red Sea and say, ah, dang, I'm going to have to come up with a plan to save him. I didn't see this coming. I didn't know they was going to approach this body of water. I don't know what we're going to do now. No. In fact, God led them to the Red Sea. God was leading the Israelites by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Did you know that Exodus 14.1 actually says God specifically, watch, God specifically told them to camp by the Red Sea? He told them to camp there. He literally brought them to a place they could not get to. They, he brought them to a trial. He brought them to a hard time. Why would God do that? You say, Daniel, why would he do it? What I want to tell you is God led them to the sea so that he could lead them through the sea. <laughs> you see, God may lead you to a trial so that he can be the one to lead you through a trial. God may bring hard things your way. He doesn't cause all the bad stuff that happens to us, but he'll allow it. He'll allow bad things to happen to us so that when we get to that beach and we need the Lord to make a way, we call out to him to do it. He'll allow you to feel alone sometimes so that you'll call out to him so that he will be your comfort. I've seen it happen in my own life. God is not caught off guard by your hurt. He's not caught off guard by your pain. He's not caught off guard by your loneliness. It didn't surprise him. You know, I can remember being a kid. I remember bottling all my pain up inside of me as a kid. I know many of you do the same thing today as a college student. Many of you, if, if how you were feeling on the inside showed by the way you looked on the outside, some of us would be walking around looking dead because <laughs> we carry a whole lot of junk, but we don't ever take the time to tell the people in our lives who we trust. I remember doing that as a kid. I struggle with loneliness, I struggle with pain and hurt, and I'd sit down after bottling it in, I'd sit down with my mom, and I'd start telling her everything that was going on. I'd start crying like a baby. I'd start saying, Mom, I feel lonely today. I started rambling off all these things I was hurting, and every single time, I'll never forget this as a kid, every single time I started telling my mom the pain and hurt I had, she always responded with the same thing. She always said, I know. I said, Mom, I'm feeling lonely today. I know. Mom, I'm feeling depressed today. I'm struggling with, with uh, insecurities over how I look. I know. Mom, I went to Target. I bought way too many pop toys from my office. I know. Every time I told her something, she already knew I was struggling with it because she loves me. And watch this. My mom knew me the best, so she already knew everything I was struggling with. God knows you the best. Don't you think he already knows what you're struggling with too? That pain you ain't talked about, that hurt, you ain't getting it past God. He knows. But oftentimes my mom would wait for me to bring up my hurt to her. She wouldn't always bring it up to me. 
You say, why, Daniel? Why would she wait for you to bring it up? Because she knew when I brought up my hurt to her, I was ready for her help. See, many of you, God is waiting for you to bring up your hurt to him so that he knows he's ready to be your help, so that you're ready to seek his help. But until you do it, college students, until you take that pain and that hurt and that frustration to the Lord, there won't be healing. The issue that you don't bring into the light will always bring you straight into the dark, always. He's right there. He's right there in your house. He's right there in your dorm. He's in your car when you're driving around. He's all around you. The Lord is waiting for you to turn to him just like I did with my mom and tell her all the pain that I got. He's waiting. He's waiting for you to start praying again. He's waiting for you to start fasting again. He's waiting for you to open up this, this book and dive into it deeper than you've ever dived into it before. You've, you've had more time in the last week than ever, and you've got this. If you have this, you have the source of life. He's waiting. Because remember, the Red Sea didn't part until Moses held up his staff. In other words, God didn't show the way until Moses showed some faith. God didn't show them where they were going until Moses showed up the faith of holding up his staff. If you want to know the way of God, you've got to show faith in God. Because that small act of faith from Moses led to a huge act of God, did it not? God parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land. They're saved. And God defeats the enemies behind them. I want to tell you something. Maybe the huge act of God that you've been waiting for will come when you give God that small act of faith he's been waiting for. Small acts of faith lead to huge acts of God. Let's keep going through this verse. It says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid. Watch this. For I am your God. Number two, if you're taking notes. Number two, God is unchanging. Number two, God is unchanging. Now, as I told you at the beginning, I grew up right here in Memphis, Tennessee. I went to Bartlett High School. And in the fifth grade, when I was in elementary school, I loved Kobe Bryant. I was a huge Kobe Bryant fan, and I wanted to dunk just like Kobe Bryant. I mean, I wanted to go between the legs. I wanted to get up there, man. The problem was I was 5'2", and I had a four-inch vertical leap. <laughs> I was a grounded plane. I could not fly. There was no chance of me getting up there to dunk. But one day, I remember when I was a kid, we were playing basketball in the neighborhood, and this girl came out who I had a crush on. I know y'all ain't got crushes out there. You ain't got nobody you like. I know you don't know what I'm talking about. But the girl came out in my neighborhood that I had a crush on, and, and she came to play basketball with us. And I said, dang, this is my chance. This is my chance to show her something. But I knew I had to dunk. Problem is I can't. So I planned to dunk, but I went and got some help. I don't know if you ever did this as a kid. I ran back to my house. I went in the bathroom, and I got a stool. <laughs> Not smart. I took the stool. I placed it about three feet in front of the basketball goal, if you can imagine it. My plan was, with everybody in the neighborhood watching, I mean, this is a big moment. The girl that I like is watching this. My plan is to run, jump off the stool, go up, go between the legs, of course, and then dunk it. And so I gear up, this is my moment, I know that this is it, and I start running towards this stool. I run in, I look over as I'm running, she's looking at me, 
I smile at her. I plant my foot on the stool. And then as I go to jump, I feel the worst feeling you can feel in this moment. The stool slips. (laughs) And for me, here I am, flat in the air, staring at the sky. The whole time thinking, what have I done? (laughs) I mean, I'm about to, and I did. I smacked the ground as hard as I could. Hit the back of my head, hit my back. Bam, flat in front of everybody watching me. Worst part was the girl didn't even help me up. She walked off and went back inside the house. I'm like, dang. (laughs) What happened was the mistake I made in this moment, I believe that many Christians are making it every day, if I can be honest with you. You see, the mistake that I made, watch, I put my faith in this stool, but it slipped because the stool was unreliable. In other words, I put my faith in a movable and changeable foundation. And when you put your faith in a movable or shiftable or changeable foundation, you will always slip. You will always fall. Many Christians are slipping and falling during this time. It's because their faith is in a movable or shiftable foundation. It's because they're putting their weight on something worldly. They're putting their faith in a stool, in money, in Instagram, in TikTok, in the people around them, even in their own family. When they're putting their faith in anything except God, that foundation is movable, changeable, and you will always slip. It's bound to happen. You'll slip and you'll end up flat on your back just like I did in front of all those people. But when you put your faith in God alone, that foundation is unchanging. God is a foundation that cannot be shifted, cannot be moved, cannot be changed, cannot waver. The Lord God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. Jesus Christ has not changed. When you put your faith in Jesus, that's when your foundation does not shift. But if you keep putting it in this world, you're always going to keep slipping. You keep wondering why it happens over and over. It's because your foundation is off. And most times when your foundation is off, It's because you're focused on trying to impress other people around you like I was. My foundation is money because I want to show others how cool I am. My, my, My foundation is people because I'm reliant on them for what they think of me. And that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. College students, you have to allow Jesus Christ to be the one to strengthen you, not Instagram. As Isaiah says, you have to allow Jesus to be the one to help you through this, not just game nights and movie nights. Those are good, (coughs) but those can't be what helps you most. He says, God says, I will hold on to you. Students, Jesus has to be the one holding on to you, not just your family and friends. As much as you love your family and friends, you got them in the room right now with you. I know you do. As much as you love them, they will never provide for you what Jesus Christ can provide for you. They can't do it. They're changing, they're shiftable, they're movable. You and I cannot provide for somebody else what Jesus Christ can provide for them. Your boyfriend can't do it, your girlfriend can't do it. You see, with me, I already know how I am. You can ask my wife. One day I'm high, I'm happy, one day I'm low, I'm sad. I go up, I go down. Jesus Christ is the same all the time. Jesus has to be your foundation. Here in Isaiah, God is reminding his people what I believe is very relevant for us tonight. He's telling them that times have changed, but God hasn't changed. God's telling the Israelites, don't miss this. If somebody's talking in your house right now, tell them to shh, all right? I probably just offended somebody right there. God is telling the Israelites, 
your circumstances may have changed. But don't get confused to think that when circumstances change, my character changes. <laughs> you see, your circumstances do not lord over God's character, but God's character can lord over your circumstances. Your circumstances don't change God. Well, God has the power to change our circumstances. If we call out, if we pray, that addiction you have, that weight you have on your shoulders, God has the power to free you from that. Wherever you are, there's people right now watching alone on an iPhone. God's with you as much as he is with some watch party. God can free you. Whoever you are right now, you just tuned in, you're watching this. Jesus Christ can free you from whatever addiction or pain or hurt you have. But you got to call out. You got to come to God. You have to repent of your sins. God's telling the Israelites, I'm the same God that parted the Red Sea for you. <laughs> I'm the same God that made a way when there was no way. And Moses' words in Exodus 14, verse 13 and following are true for us today. Moses said to the people, watch this, don't be afraid. Stand firm. Guess what? You can't stand firm if you're standing on a stool. You got to be standing on the Savior. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again. You know, when God deals with a problem, God deals with it. Uh, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you, and you must be quiet. Let me challenge you. I don't want to get on you too much. But let me challenge you, though. If you really believe God is with you at all times, right here. If you really believe God is with you at all times, do you pray like it? That's what I asked myself over the weekend. If I really believe God's with me, do I talk to him? Because let me tell you something. If you have a friend over to your house, you're going to talk to him. Are you talking to the Lord God as if he's right there with you? Because my fear is that for some of us, we've made more TikToks than we have talked to God. And that's my fear. That's what I'm scared of. I'm scared that we've watched more TV shows than we've prayed. I believe that we'll give anyone in our life hours of FaceTime, but we refuse to give God FaceTime through prayer. Guys, is it possible we're missing it right now? We are living in a time when God has literally stopped the world. It'd be a shame if we were still seeking worldly things. Maybe he stopped the world so that we could start seeking heavenly things. So that we would set our minds on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. I believe God's teaching you something. Lastly, in Isaiah 41.10, God says, I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Number three, God's hand upholds you. Number three, I hope you're taking notes, and we'd love for you to share this stream with your friends and family. Share what you learned tonight. Number three, God's hand upholds you. Now, there's an interesting play on words here. It's easy to miss. Don't, don't miss out on this point. At this time in Isaiah, for the Israelites... Many people were worshiping idols and false gods. They would make these statues and they would bow down to them. Man-made stuff that they would worship. You're probably reminded of the golden calf they made in Exodus. They had idols everywhere at this time. And watch this. A lot of the false gods they made, they had to be 
fastened with pegs so that they wouldn't totter, so that they wouldn't tilt over their gods. In other words, the people had to hold up their own gods from falling. I want to make a statement to you tonight, college students. Uh, a God that has to be held up by man is no God at all. You see, Isaiah says that it is God who upholds all of humanity with his righteous right hand. A God that we have to hold up is no God. We didn't create God, but God created us in the image of his son. And there is not a safer place to be in the world than God's righteous right hand. Psalm 18, verse 35, write this verse down. It says, you have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me, and your humility will exalt me. Now, we keep seeing this righteous right hand idea. I want you to write this down. Please make sure that you got notes on this. I want to give you three things we can trust when it comes to God's righteous right hand. All through Scripture, whenever you see it mention God's righteous right hand, it always refers to at least one of these three. Three things to trust with God's righteous right hand. Number one, God's protection. Write that down. Number one, God's protection. I want you to imagine a, a mom or a dad who is protecting their child. They would use their hand to shield the child away from danger. They would protect the child with their hand if they had to. It's an image that God is your protector. That just as there's the evil one, the devil who's trying to tempt you, it's God's hand who can lead you and protect you away from all the dangers of this world. He's got his righteous right hand on you. God's protection. But number two, we know that it refers to God's promise. As we're preaching about tonight, that God's presence is a promise. Number two, God's promise. When you make a promise with somebody, when you make a deal, what you usually do is you shake on it. You shake somebody's hand, which is a symbol of a covenant, of a deal that you're planning to not break something. God has not only promised you he will be with you, he has promised you that you have his righteous right hand as a believer in Jesus Christ. And the last one. God's provision. When a father or a mother is trying to direct a child or when you're trying to direct someone, you will awfully, oftentimes point in the direction that, they're, that you're wanting them to go. You're pointing them. A father would point a child in the direction to go and lead them. I want to tell you, God's righteous right hand is the hand that's pointing in the direction, telling you which way to go. He is the voice behind you, the Holy Spirit of God saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's the God that we serve. God's protection, God's promise, and God's provision. I lived at home in Bartlett, Tennessee until I was 22 years old. At 22 years old, I was finishing up college. I planned to move out of my house. And for 22 years, I spent a lot of time with my dad. And the hardest part of moving out for me was probably leaving my dad you see, we watched movies together. We spent time together. We played video games together. We rode our bikes together. Me and my dad were best friends. We literally did everything. He's watching the live stream right now. We literally did everything together. And on the day I moved out, it was hard. I remember cleaning out my room. Some of you can remember this. Some of you can relate. I remember cleaning out my room, <coughs> packing up my car. I walked inside, and I wanted to have a deep moment with my dad. I wanted to have a moment where I was vulnerable, 
where I was transparent. I wanted to have a moment where I, where I literally just told him how grateful I was for him, how thankful I was. But sometimes for sons and for fathers, it's hard to be vulnerable. I could cry to my mom all day, but me and my dad, it was harder to be vulnerable. It doesn't come easy. It can kind of be uncomfortable sometimes for guys. I don't know why, but it is. And, and I thought about telling him in this moment, but I didn't. I hugged him. I walked outside. I got in my car. I turned on the car. I drove out the driveway. I looked back. He was waving at me from the driveway. And I got to the top of my street, and I stopped. And it hit my heart like a ton of bricks. I realized, don't miss this, I realized I had just missed a huge, huge moment with my father. I had just missed a moment to thank my best friend, to thank my dad. A moment I could be real, honest, vulnerable, and I gave it up. Why would I give it up? Why would we give up moments to be real and vulnerable with those who love us? I turned around my car. I made the decision. I popped a U-turn. I flew down that hill. Almost hit somebody. I pulled up in the driveway. I jumped out my car like a movie scene. I ran inside the living room. I found my dad. He turned around, looked at me. He's like, what's happening? You know? And I run up to him, and I hug him, and we both just start crying. I mean, it's the most pathetic scene you'd ever imagine. Two grown men just crying and hugging just randomly. <laughs> In this moment, I thanked him. I told my dad, thank you. But I didn't thank him for all the stuff he had bought me, the car and the bikes. I didn't thank him for the places he had taken me. What I thanked him for was just simply being there for me as a best friend for 22 years. I told him, thank you for always holding my hand in the darkness to lead me to the light. And after all those years, what I realized was my dad's presence in my life was the greatest blessing he could ever give me. I don't know what your earthly father is like, but I know what your heavenly father is like. Can I tell you that your heavenly father, God, has always been there for you. That your Father, God, is your best friend. That Jesus Christ is your best friend. And he has literally been holding your hand every step of the way. And if you're a believer, you have his hand. He will never let go. My dad never let go of my hand when times got hard. God will never let go of your hand. His presence is there now and his presence will always be there. Can I just ask you a question? Can I just be real? In the midst of all this, have you stopped and taken that moment to just say thank you, God? To just tell him thank you for being there for you as your best friend for all these years? Or are you at the top of the street like I was, about to drive off and miss your moment with your Father in heaven? What I learned is at the end of the day, Jesus Christ's presence will always be God's greatest blessing. I know for many of you, though, you have not experienced God's presence until tonight. Maybe you've experienced it in other moments. And for Christians, I want to ask you now to start praying. But for some of you out there, you're not a Christian. 
you don't know God the way that I've said I do. You don't know him the way others do. You know of God, but you don't know God here. You may know of Jesus, but you don't know him in your heart. Tonight could be the night that you know him. Jesus Christ was real. He was fully God. He came down on this earth. He lived a perfect life, sinless. He never told a lie. He never got greedy. He never got jealous. Literally, he lived a perfect life. He lived the life you and me and our friends could not live. He never sinned. He was perfect. And while he was on this earth, he, he healed people. He loved people. He fed people. He provided for people. And still, humanity hated him. So they tortured him. They beat him. They tied him up and they, they whipped him. All because he was perfect. Because he was fully God. But it was all part of God's plan. They took Jesus Christ. They laid his hands out. They put his feet together. And they nailed him to a cross. They crucified him. And in that moment on the cross, he took every single one of your sins and my sin. You can think of the sin that you're most ashamed about. Jesus died for it. Jesus took it on the cross and died for it. It doesn't end there, though. They buried him. And three days later, he resurrected from the grave, victorious, defeating the devil, defeating death, overcoming everything in this world, rose from the grave, and he's alive right now. And you can know him. You can put your faith in him and get saved and go to heaven. You can know him. All you have to do, the Bible says, is it's a gift. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. What you and I deserve is to die for our sins, the lies we told, the mistakes we made. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A free gift is something you receive. You don't earn it or work for it. You receive it. Jesus died for you as your free gift. And what the Bible says is if you repent of your sins, repentance means I'm going one direction. I'm living in sin. I'm doing whatever I want. I repent. I say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't just confess my sins. Confessing your sins is telling God. Repentance is giving God your sins. I give him my sins. I say I'm done with them. I start walking towards Jesus. I start walking a new life. Then the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he will be your God. You say, Daniel, I've done way too much in my life. I've made way too many mistakes. I can't do it. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that you tonight? I was at a public park at midnight, laying face down on the ground in tears when I got saved. It wasn't a proud moment. Maybe you're in your dorm. Maybe you're with your family. Maybe you're in your room alone, and you're in tears, and you're hurt, and you're in pain. That's where I got saved. It could be you too. If you do want to get saved, right now a number is going to come on the screen. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, we want to talk to you. We want to follow up with you. Text this number that's on the screen right now. If you text your full name, first and last name, to this number, we will follow up with you and we will get information to you and we will talk you through how to get saved. We've had multiple people this semester get saved because of a phone call. <laughs> You can get saved right there in your dorm. It's no magical words, but you can pray and give your life to Jesus Christ right there in your dorm, right there with your family. Your family could get saved. There's family members who don't know Jesus. But if you want to, text your full name to that number on the screen, and we'll reach out to you this week.
I encourage you. It's the best decision you could ever make. Jesus Christ is the greatest thing in the world. Right now, we have some discussion questions that are going to come up on the screen, I believe. There are three discussion questions we would like you to talk through with your family and with your friends, whoever you are with. If you're not with anybody, text it in a group chat. <coughs> talk about it or FaceTime somebody. Somehow, some way, if you listen to this sermon, I encourage you to talk through these three questions that are specific to this sermon tonight. We love you guys so much. We'll be right here next week streaming at 7 o'clock. Anyone else that you would like to join us, tell them to jump on. We'd love to. Thank you guys so much for being here. We love you. I hope that you have a great night.